I mean, people love labels. It's like people think you don't exist without labels. And so the fact that on my Instagram, it's always said like, fat femme that has given so many people license to be like, Oh, so she's the fat femme. And then they're like, Oh, and she does yoga. So what is a person who does yoga? That's a yogi. So then they're like fat femme yogi. And I'm like, okay, hold up. If you think about it, this season of the podcast has been all about labels, pro-choice, immigrant, trans, fat, disabled. When you're telling stories about marginalized people, labels have both pros and cons. On the one hand, without labels, it's difficult to know who to make space for, which communities and persons are threatened, who needs the biggest platform. On the other hand, labels are how these same people are discriminated against in the first place. In the latter case, a label can become a target. Over the course of this season, our guests have navigated those labels and the complications they present. For our final episode, we talked to someone who's built her entire brand around the labels she navigates and how those labels have made her a target of unwanted attention. Her name is Jessamine Stanley, and she's a fat, queer Black woman who has disrupted the yoga industry simply by being a part of it. I first met Jessamine at an inclusive yoga event. She patiently and thoroughly taught us how to do a headstand, so well, in fact, that I thought I might actually be able to do it one day. That day still has not come, but it will. Maybe. Jessamine is the perfect final guest for this season because her mission is the same as our shows. Make yourself, your story, and whatever labels you embody visible and relevant, if you want even when the world doesn't want to see them. I'm Amanda Richards. Welcome to the podcast. It's really interesting because I know we've talked before about how, like, naturally you're an introvert, but whenever I've seen you and, you know, kind of do your thing in, in these, like, public spaces, you you really seem to, like transform into this personality that people really connect with, which as an introvert, is that difficult? Yeah, it is. It's extremely difficult. Um, I think that it's very helpful that I, you know, I, I grew up singing and I grew up doing theater and all sorts of things where it's like, you're, you have to be in front of people. And so that is, that, uh, it's kind of like the default, like, slide into that space because otherwise there's no way for me to be around that many people and be like completely vulnerable to them all the time because it's extremely emotionally overwhelming. And I think that, um, it's a very interesting thing about uh, having aspects of yourself available to other people on the internet that creates a false sense of intimacy in which many people feel as though we're like really, really close or that they want to be really close with me and they want to tell me about their most intimate details of the of their lives. And, and I have to have some kind of boundary kind of protecting me, honestly, because it's just, it is a lot, but some people get off on that. I don't know. So I wanted to go back to something you said at the beginning about like the book being about having an intersectional identity, because I read everything ever written about you. You know that. And I feel like people describe you, like they'll say she describes herself as, but it's never in quotes. They'll be like fat femme, fat black femme, fat femme yogi. Like I wonder like which one of, like do any of these like descriptors that people give you, 
like make you uncomfortable? Like, how do you feel about the word yogi? I just feel like there's a lot of labels before your name. Absolutely. I call myself a fat femme, not because it's like buzzy or fun, but because it's like empirically true. I am fat and identify as femme. It's like someone being like, oh yeah, white guy. He called himself a white guy. So then like in an article, you say like, so-and-so is a white guy, blank. You know, it's just like, that's not all that I am. I think that a lot of um, the a lot of the attention I've had within the last couple of years has come primarily from like a um, a white dominated media, and as a result, their race becomes a really sticky topic when you're talking to white people. Like they may not want to immediately acknowledge that like, oh, oh, and she's black. But like, that's the reason that you're looking at this too. Because when it comes right down to it, what is the reason people are so interested in this fat person practicing yoga? Because they think it's a fucking sideshow. Because they think it's like, wow, look how amazing that is. And yeah, it's dope that so many people see, um, see that and then are like, yes, I'm going to practice yoga or I'm going to change my life or whatever. But the labels that people use really show, um, I think, the way that they see me and then the way that they see yoga. And it's very telling in a, um, in a really interesting way. It feels like, from everything I've read, it feels like the your blackness intersects with yoga in a different way, obviously, than your, your queerness. And I wonder, like, how... How, how do you feel it's people approach it, you know, with any sort of like intersectional identity, people are like comfortable, like addressing one, but not the <laughs> other, you know, because like two is like too many. We always like joke about that. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can be the, the black yoga practitioner, but oh boy, like now you're the black queer one. Oh, yeah. So like, oh yeah. Well, and I mean, even talking about being femme is like, that is a new concept for so many people. They're like, so you call yourself a fat Fem. What do these things mean? So then I explain my usage of the word fat, why it's important to me, why that understanding that identity, because I do think that that identity is the one that is the most provocative to people. Um, and the, but then after that, it's like, oh, so, OK, and you're femme. What's femme? And so then I'm explaining gender identity and explaining the femme identity. And and I think that it's very much just like, oh, so she's not straight. She's like kind of gay. Like, I think that's what people think. And I don't know if these are, if these, I'm sure someone's going to be like, oh my gosh, she's using such problematic language. I don't, I don't know what language I should be using, but I think that for a lot of people, they don't know how to like, honestly, you know, chew gum and, and speak at the same time or however that saying goes. It's very much like, oh, I see that you're fat and we can focus on that. Or I see that you're black and we can focus on that. But mm-hmm. queer, I don't know what, I don't know what's happening with that, you know? So, and that's, I mean, it's been wild doing so many interviews with like, you know, uh, drive time morning radio uh, hosts who are like in the Midwest, like what, how I would picture the traditional white cis head man and having these conversations with them is wild because they're just like, what? (laughs) You know, like you can just like see the hashtag mind blown, like just like flying across their face. Like they just cannot believe what they're hearing. And then they're just like, I don't know how to process this. So I'm just going to revert to the thing that I understand, which is like yoga looked hard or fat. That's wild. Or I don't know. 
So, yeah, you're totally right, though. It's like we can talk about one thing, maybe two things, definitely not more than two things. Right. Because when I initially asked the question, I like left out the fatness thing. So we're talking three here, baby. It's a whole lot. It's like three that are immediately visible to other people. But like, I mean, I also grew up in a religion that is like a very marginalized religion. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up in the American South. I am black and queer living in North Carolina. Like these are like very, there's so many different levels of, um, of uh, pressure and, um, internalized self-hate and misogyny, all of these different things that are just like deeply embedded, but we all just go by what we can see and what we, what you see is fat and black and different looking, I guess. What I think is like super, like, I, I don't know, I, I guess the only word I can think of to describe it is exhausting. Like you're a yoga practitioner. So your life is literally about teaching other people how to do what you do. But at the same time, you're also educating people on your identity because as you said before, to a lot of people, it's a fucking sideshow and they need like an explanation as to why you're there and who you are. So like, is the constant education, not only about yoga, but about your identity and your intersectional identity, just like absolutely exhausting to constantly have to explain yourself over and over? So I never, I don't set up to educate anybody about anything. And I feel like even in teaching yoga, I'm not really trying to get people to do what I do so much as I'm trying to get them to understand what they can do. It's like, you see me doing this thing. You can interpret what I'm doing for your life. And that's how I feel about everything. I mean, a great example is like in talking about um, gender identity in a lot of these events, I've used cis and trans um, pretty fluidly and not explain myself. And I've had people afterwards like send me an email or a DM or something and be like, yeah, you know, it was so great. I didn't know what you meant by cis or could you explain that to me or or maybe you should um, tell people what that means. I feel like I had somebody at an event actually ask me to do that one time. So I hope there's a recording of me saying, I think you should look that up for yourself. Okay. So like I told you, um, I mentioned that this episode sort of idea behind it is, you know, bodies that disrupt certain spaces that like we're not used to seeing. And I think like you're a perfect fit for that. But I wonder, like, do you see yourself as a disruptor? Like, do you feel like what you're doing is disrupting the yoga space or is it more like you're not trying to disrupt shit, you're just creating more room. Like, how do you view it? Totally. I'm so glad that you asked about this. It's only just become apparent to me. And I guess I'm late to the party, but I just realized that people think like that I'm different or that I'm like representing change or that I'm showing. There's so many people that are like, yeah, you're showing all the, you know, black, you know, fat people, or like you're showing all of the curvy people or whatever. You're showing all of these different people that they can do yoga too. You're so amazing. And my thought is like, I'm not even the first fat black person to put pictures of themselves practicing yoga on the internet. Like there are so many people who look and act just like me who practice yoga. It's just like everything else in our world. You don't see it if white people, like you don't, the only thing that we see is a white homogenized image. When I think about the yoga space, I think there's tons of POC, there's tons of QPOC, there's tons of, um, you know, 
people of all different abilities, ages, all different kinds of things. And I don't even really try to be visible. I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to really live my yoga practice like that, that more than anything. I'm not, I don't, I would stop teaching yoga and still keep practicing yoga for the rest of my life because that is the only thing that seems like a worthwhile use of time at this point. I want to be compassionate. I want to be, um, you know, a good person. And if that inspires other people to live that kind of lifestyle as well, that's dope. If people see me in a body that is not typically shown on in magazines or on television and they're like inspired to love their own bodies that are not shown in that way, that's dope. I think that the problem is that we have way too small a scope of what the world actually looks like. So in your mind, like, why you? Is it just luck? Is it just like one of those weird, like, convergences of, you know, all these different details at once that gave you this momentum on social media and sort of turned you into this sensation? Like, how do you see it? I don't even feel like a sensation. Come on. You are. You are. I mean, you like, know I just feel like living my life, honestly. But, like, it's not necessarily luck. But, I mean, I, it probably is some kind of luck. But it's very much, like... It's just the right time for all of these things because like there's, I think, mm -hmm. a great hunger in our current society for something other than you're not enough. Everything is like you're not enough. You should get this thing and then you'll be enough. You should do this thing and then you'll be enough. If you wear this thing, if you eat this thing, if you try this product, whatever. And it always comes back to selling ultimately. So it's like everyone is so collectively fed up with that as an idea that I think anyone who really spits in the face of that truly spits in the face of it. We have a space right now where that can flare up and pop off because like, I just think back to when I first started putting pictures, um, on social media and like the person who inspired me to start one of the people who's inspired me to start doing that Diane Bondi, who is an incredible teacher from Canada. She is like, black and plus size and in my mind was like pretty prominent like I felt like yeah, you know Diane Bondi and then I realized like it wasn't until I started to see how many people were approaching me that I was like wow there's no visibility on this whatsoever and so I don't know I mean I think that I don't know I I think that it is all about timing and I think that we are living in a time when People want to see something more than what they've seen before. I feel like if you're sort of like, you know, you're you're different and like people are are saying, OK, look at her. She's so different. You know, back to the whole idea of the sideshow and the social media personality that people have cultivated. Like it's partially what you put out there and partially what they create in their own minds that like when you have an opinion on something like that it's not it becomes not just about you expressing yourself and I've, this has happened to me too especially around the election but it's not just about like here I need to express this thing it's like I'm expressing this thing and you think that because I'm expressing it that I want your opinion yes oh lord hallelujah so I wasn't asking how you felt about it I mean like if you want to get up on your page and talk about how you feel about it Maybe I'll go over there and comment if I feel like it. I probably won't, but like maybe I will. But really, this is my journal that you have determined is now your like 
truth book. I don't, I don't, I would not endorse doing that. Whenever you sit at any intersection, which we're all sitting at some kind of intersection, there's going to be some kind of conflict. There's going to be some kind of problem. I am highly problematic because of all of my intersections. And I don't think that I need to apologize for that. And I don't think anyone needs to apologize for their stuff. It's the reason that I think the internet exists and that social media can be so cool is because there are so many different opinions. It's because we don't all agree. If we all agreed, what is the point of that? Like the point, how can we all agree? We're not coming from the same perspectives. Like I would never expect someone who has had a completely different life circumstance than me to feel and think the same things that I think. Why would that happen? All that I can do is hear what they're saying. And this is what's not happening in our world. We're not listening to one another. You just listen for what you want to hear and then you tune out what you don't want to hear. But if you actually hear everything else, then you can understand where people are coming from. And that doesn't mean that you need to agree. It doesn't even mean that you need to continue to listen, but it means that you heard. Everybody is just trying to talk and record their own talking and make their talking sound like everybody else is talking. Nobody is trying to listen. New voices come in all forms, not in the sense that diverse people are taking advantage of the digital age to make themselves heard, though they certainly are. I mean that some previously marginalized people want to make an impact in their respective communities, artistic, political, whatever, without necessarily seeking the spotlight. Jessamine falls into that paradigm. Just because she checks certain boxes and comes with different labels, fat, black, yogi, doesn't mean that's a useful list of attributes for understanding what she's all about. And the next time we meet someone like her on the internet or in real life, we do well to greet them as a blank slate. Not saying, I know who you are, but asking... Who are you? I want to thank Jessamine Stanley for coming on our show and reminding us what this podcast is all about. I want to thank the Bustle editorial support team for their input throughout the season, including Jenny Hollander, Roseanne Salvatore, and Kara McGrath. Major props to our producer, Anna Parsons, for her resourcefulness throughout the season, and Pierre Bienname, our producer and my co-editor, also the guy that often made our stories better by way of routinely disagreeing with me. If you want to share any thoughts about the podcast, please, please email me at amanda at bustle.com. We'll be back with more stories next season. <laughs>